What about universalism? I know, uh, Brad, you might have something to say on this, but uh, <laughs> universalism. Uh, there was a recent book. <laughs> you guys may have heard about it. Uh, Rob Bell. and we were, we're trying not to pick on anyone Rob individual. Who? Rob Bell thinks a lot of great things. Really awesome Christian guy. Recently, he wrote a book called Love Wins. Michigan. Uh, which, which proposes universalism. So, yeah, Michigan, way to go. Uh, universalism, what does that mean, Brad? Can you define that for us? Uh, and this is, this is not directly dealing with universalism. And I don't think, I don't know if what Rob's bell in position, his position is on all this, but this could kind of lead to universalism. I mean, how could it do that? We are condemned. Yeah, you don't have to, there's no mission. What are you doing as a Christian? You just try to live good. But, but yeah, I mean, I've been asked this before by a guy who was like, you know what, okay, I'm a sinner, granted, I, uh, you know, I didn't always do what my parents said, I uh, didn't, you know, didn't do drugs or drink or anything, but I was just a little bit, just, you know, I didn't clean my room very well or something, and I think I told a white lie, and, you know, there's a few other, like, maybe I cheated on my taxes, maybe not even that, like, maybe I just, you know... Uh, someone asks you, does stress make me look bit, you know, good? And I'm like, yeah, sure, fine. You know, little things like that. He says, so why could God send me to hell? How could God possibly condemn me? Sure, I've sinned, granted. But is that worth everlasting punishment? You see where that's going there? So how do you, you know, how is, is everyone's sin staggered? Are we punished for a while and then we get into heaven? Like, it leads to all this stuff. But how can you condemn someone who really hasn't done that much? Sure, they're a sinner. You know, but I mean, they, like, what, stole something from a salad bar in a restaurant without paying for it. I mean, you know, something like that. Like, how can you condemn them for that? They didn't so, cause a genocide or... Yeah, they didn't cause... They weren't Hitler, you know. That's what people say. Uh, then no one goes to hell. I'm like, Hitler didn't go to hell? Okay. <laughs> I think Hitler and yes. Judas... Hitler, Judas, Who Benedict else? Arnold. If you're American, yeah, I think so. Stalin. No, maybe. Anyway, Yeah. Hmm. That's a good point, and that's kind of like something Augustine said. Is if I, um, okay, so I want to get to God, right? I want to do good works to get to God. Uh, what is motivating me to keep all those commandments? Then, what's motivating me towards that? Right. Self-interest, right? I would like to go to heaven, please. You know, self-interest. <laughs> uh, what commandment am I breaking? Love God with all your heart. I'm loving myself with some of my heart, <laughs> you know. I'm not doing it for God's sake. I'm loving myself. So, I mean, by doing that, you're breaking a commandment by, you know, by keeping all the commandments but because of your motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Any other things where you guys see this in our culture? Kind of similar to plur- uh, universalism is pluralism, like sort of there's multiple ways. Everyone kind of finds their way. You know, you have a good Buddhist monk, never kills anybody. Never kills any animals, even. So he gets into heaven just because he's good, right? So it leads to like all religions make it their way. We could almost make a game out of this. Like you could kind of pick your favorite heresy or your favorite. (laughs) The problem in the church probably relates back to just connect the dots. I mean, it just takes a little creativity. Anything other? Any others? I mean, there are literally hundreds. Yeah. Um, Anyway. So that's why we wanted to start with this one. We felt it was really a crucial issue to, to tackle that, that really affects everybody in, in very subtle ways. And so mm-hmm. I think we're ready for about a 15-minute break. 15 minutes? Whoa. Is that too know, much? We, we, maybe we should do like two or three. We'll do 10. 
We'll call it. We'll call it enough time to get in the elevator, so, grab more snacks, and come back. We're gonna start talking again at two fifty. You don't necessarily have to be in here by that time, but we're gonna be speaking again. Yeah. So uh, but he'll be talking first. So keep that. In yeah. Mind. <laughs> so really, and uh, take a seat. You can continue eating your snacks or whatever. We're not real strict about that. Other people will probably filter in here. So we have talked about Pelagianism which I know is a big word, but, you know, following what Pelagius taught. Um, as you guys have... What does that mean? Can you define... Pelagianism, yeah. It, it's when, I, when I give a summary at the end of Pelagius. So there is no original sin. Humans have the ability to choose right from wrong. And grace is God giving us that ability and giving us the rules to follow. That's grace. So that's sort of Pelagianism. But, I mean, it, different aspects of that show up in different ways. It's not necessarily the whole package. A lot of us aren't very systematic in how we organize our theology. So we'll kind of be like, I think we can make free choices, but I also think that God is sovereign. And, you know, we kind of mix and match without thinking through the implications, usually. Islam came about about 600 years after Christianity, and a lot of, because they're right next to Christianity, a lot of what they did in developing is like, a lot of their answers are against, like, this is why we don't believe what Christians believe, this is why we don't believe what Christians believe, like, against our points. They didn't say we agree with Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Because he's a Christian, right? Or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 We're actually going to get in a little bit why, because Muslims really believe in determinism, right? There's one God, all powerful, determines everything. We're going to get into that a little bit here in a second, but uh, with our next topic. But like, why we're not like Muslims in that way? But uh, anything else from as you mold over it? Well, our sin, our sin nature, we're already turned away from God. Yeah. Right, right. But, but how do we get out of that? And this is the gospel. I mean, a lot of times we talk about these in philosophical terms, and we forget, so God's outside of time. Did he stay there? The Son of God stepped into time. That blows my mind as far as like my whole thing that I drove here before. The Son of God stepped down into time. Perfect. He was perfect. No sin nature, right? He could be human and not have a sin nature because Adam didn't have a sin nature to begin with. That's when he ate the fruit and stuff. So he's perfect, dies on the cross, he's the sacrifice for us. So, yeah, I mean, it, I can't make the decision for God. God brought the sacrifice, paid the price, and then pulls me out of my own junk that I'm living in. And uh, I've heard someone say one time that uh, whenever you're going to be saved, like when you're making the decision, it's like you're walking through a doorway, and over the doorway is written like, uh, accept Christ or something like make the decision for Christ something like that but as you walk through that doorway as you're a Christian walking through your life eventually you look back and you see that Jesus paid it all like God chose me on the thing on the back so like it oftentimes it looks like to us we're making this choice and I'm choosing God like yeah I'm voting for Jesus you know <laughs> that kind of thing when we get saved but then after we you know are Christians and read the Bible we kind of look at it and go I see God was working in my life the whole time you know and God was working this out and he was making it happen. And I remember when this guy came and talked to me and what he said. And, you know, God was just orchestrating all of this and bringing it about. He was convicting me. All that, Like, I never felt bad about my sin. And then all of a sudden I started to realize who I was, just like Augustine. I started to feel like, man, I am messed up. That's the Holy Spirit, you know. So, yeah, it's good points. Um, so, anyway, we can move on now. Our next topic of discussion is who is God? Now we've got about 45 minutes for this one, so we're going to answer all of your questions about who got it. No, we're going to brush over it and we're going to pick on one specific thing. We are talking about what is the Trinity? 
What is the Trinity? Now, this isn't a class on the Trinity, so we're, just, we're going to talk about it real briefly. But there's a specific problem. Some people believe in the Trinity in a wrong way. Okay? And that's what we're going to address. The specific way that sometimes we get it wrong is a big problem in our church. Uh, not, not talking about just Watermark, like in the American church generally. Uh, so who is God? This is maybe the most important question for mankind, right? Who is God? What is God like? So key for us. In fact, some people have said the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. And so for us as Christians, we are not, uh, we're not a religion of doing good, right? We try to do good, but that's not what we're all about. We are a, Christ- we are a religion of belief, right? We are a religion of the book. We have... Uh, our doctrine here, the teaching of the apostles uh, through Christ, and we are a religion of belief and of specific beliefs. Uh, and so a lot of times people talk about, uh, you know, you just have to have faith. Oh, if you just had more faith. Faith is what you need to get to heaven. That's a great question. Faith in what? You have to believe in something. Faith is the same word as believe. right? They mean the same thing. So I believe something, I have faith in it. So, what do you believe in? We kind of talk about faith like some kind of esoteric, feely, gooey, emotionally thing. No, what do you believe in? I talk about it this way sometimes. Um, I've, uh, you know, practice makes perfect, right? So I've honed a particular skill that I have to the point of perfect precision. And this skill is the ability to listen without hearing. So my wife tells me something, and she, we, we joke about this all the time, and mostly I'm joking about it, trying to calm her down. Uh, she tells me we have a wedding that we're going to go to on April 5th. Is that cool with you? Yes, honey, that's five, six weeks away. I don't think I have anything scheduled that day. That's fine with me. So April 4th comes along that night, and I'm like, staying up late, I'm going to sleep in in the morning. Isaac, tomorrow's Saturday, and I'm like, oh, it is? It's Saturday, yes, it is. Good observation. Should we have a wedding? Oh, like I heard it, but I didn't listen. You know, or I was listening, but I didn't hear. And so I listen to her all the time. Sometimes I just sit there and nod, and I'm just not, it's just not hitting me. Like it's just not clicking, it's not sticking in my head. Am I really listening? Is that listening? You just need to listen, Isaac. You need to listen to your wife. That'll solve all your problems. Is that what it means? Just kind of let it in one ear and out the other? No, you got to grab onto it. You need to... Content is important. You have to pay attention to the content. So just have faith. Just have faith. No, what do you believe in? What is the content of your faith? It's not just important to believe in something. What do you believe in that matters, right? So what do we believe as Christians? This is what we believe. We believe in the Trinity. So we believe that, the fa- that God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everyone agree with that? Sure. Ah, good. You're all Christians. Uh, this, is, this is one of the main doctrines uh, of Christianity. This is... And I, you know, I didn't get this for years. I didn't get how important this was. I knew that we believed it. It's in the creeds. It's in some of the songs we sing. But this is so central for Christianity. It is so important. It's one of the defining doctrines. You know, when first Christians outlined what they believed, when they summarized what the Bible taught, and they came up with just like short version, what do Christians believe? Do you know how it was phrased? I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. Long thing about Jesus. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. Trinitarian, three sections, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is how they phrased their Christianity 
this is Christian, is to believe in the Trinity. Now, there's other things we believe as well, like the Bible is true and those sorts of things. Jesus died for our sins, that kind of stuff. But, but the Trinity is one of those very key central ideas. But it's not no, enough just to say I believe in the Trinity, because Trinity is really, it's a catchword. It's a word that we have come up with. It's not even in the Bible. It's a word that we came up with to explain ideas from the Bible. Okay, so there's all these verses in the Bible, and they're talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they say certain things about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then instead of repeating all of those ideas over again, we just say Trinity, and everyone understands we're talking about all those ideas. So what is that? How do Christians talk about the Trinity? There's a lot you could say about it. Um... But there's really some specific ways in which we've defined it. And that is... Oh, oh, I've got this here. Let me ask you guys a question before I explain anything. Oh, my goodness. This is a question about God, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you beforehand. It is a trick question about God, so you might want to be careful before you answer. Is God a person? It's a trick question, so I know no one may answer here. Is God a person? on some bold person we won't judge mm-hmm. you what was that no, no? God is n- God is not a person does anyone know, how does everyone feel about that we don't, we don't necessarily mean human we mean person like he's a he's a personal personal is God a person he has a personality a personality he is a person you know you guys know that I'm trying to lead you astray yeah Brad what? What? Thank you. No. God is not a person. He is three persons. Oh, very tricky. Good, though. I like that. So God is three persons. That is very important. That's the way it's always been defined in Christianity. God is three persons. Who are they? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is the Father the Son? No. Is the Son the Spirit? Is the Spirit the Father? No, they are not each other. They are three persons. Now, wait a second. Do we have three gods? No. How many gods do we have? Okay, very good. God is one, uh, and there's several different words we could throw in here. Essence, substance, nature. Those are all being. being. There you go. God is one being. I like that. Essence, substance, nature, being. They They all historically mean the same thing. So... God is three persons. God is one being. Now, someone explain to me how that works. Anybody? Anybody? Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's the part that's called mystery. Like, uh, how are you going to explain that functioning together? And we can come up with ways to talk about it. But uh, it's just, I've never met a Christian who said this was easy to understand. You know, I mean, uh, God is three persons. God is one being. And this is the way that uh, we have historically and biblically defined Christian understanding of God. Okay. Now this is really important for several reasons. And when we get to Josh on the second half, he's going to talk about why this is so key. Uh, but first, we want to talk about the problem. There's one view out there that, uh, well, there's several views that are insufficient for this. One view, though, that is called modalism. I like using big words, but I realize uh, that even I don't understand what they mean. Modalism. It comes from the word. I'm writing crooked there. It comes from the word mode, like a mode of being. Um, trying to think of a common usage of the word mode. Your watch. 
And if you had a digital watch, a lot of times they'll have different modes, different settings that you could put it in. Yeah. Works there you in go. stopwatch mode or yeah. time telling mode. Yeah, so like there's different it can function different ways, I guess maybe is a good way to say it. So modalism says that God didn't really eternally exist as three persons, right? He hasn't always been three persons and one being. It emphasizes the one being, right? And kind of crosses out the three persons. Right? It, it de-emphasizes them to say, so uh, if you ask someone though who's a modalist, are you Trinitarian? Oh yeah, I believe in the Trinity. Absolutely. What do you mean by that? You've got to do that one. What do you mean by Trinity? And if they say <laughs> he is three persons in one essence, you're good to go. Yes, that is Trinitarianism. That's Christian doctrine. If, they, if they're modalists, they're going to say something like, oh yeah, I believe in God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit because, you know, God is the Father in creation and He's the Son in redemption and He's the Spirit in regeneration. They're going to say something like that, like He's the, God, he's the Father when He created, He's the Son when He came down and died on the cross and He's the Spirit when He brings us back to life and saves us. That's modalism. So what it really says is um, it confuses this issue of Trinity. Because it's a confusing issue, I'll be honest. But what we have to not do is come down and, and, and define it in a way that's unorthodox. We always have to, whatever definition we give to the Trinity, has to hold these two things in tension. Okay? Because if you emphasize three persons over the one being, what have you got? Three. Three gods, right? Polytheism. And that's not right. Tritheism, even, some people call it. And what do you have if you have just one being? You have monotheism, yeah, extreme monotheism, modalism, yeah. So uh, this has been a big problem in the church, and one of the issues is we try to explain it in ways that are understandable. So some of you may have heard of the clover explanation. The problem with all of these is that none of them work because God is so complex, we can't, you can't wrap our arms around it. So there's the egg, right? So you've got the shell of the egg, the white yolk of the egg, and the yellow yolk of the egg. But all three are different, but they're all one. Uh, that you know that doesn't quite do God justice. God's not an egg. Uh, this one is you know it's kind of a way of understanding it, but how could three be one? This one, the clover. You know, you got the three leaves, but it's all one clover leaf thing. Like that. again, it, it just it, doesn't it doesn't get to the heart of it. It's it, really great until you start plucking it apart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it 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 can be helpful, I guess, but it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't fully explain it. Yeah. I'm glad you got to that. We're going to get to that uh, in the second half. But um, let's see here. Is everyone cool on the Trinity? I'm prepared to prove the Trinity, if you will. But I know that everyone here already believes in it. Great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on Easter, I heard Todd. He was, he was preaching and praying Trinitarianly. There you go. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, we are Trinitarian here, I think. Yes. Right? Yeah, okay, good. Yes. Yeah, well, well, just to quickly answer your question, the reason we have to be Trinitarian is because if you're not Trinitarian, you're not Christian. And yeah, Josh is Josh is going to get to that. But for my purposes, <laughs> if you're not uh, if you're not Trinitarian, you're not Christian, uh, which sounds like a strong statement, but uh, it's true. So uh, to be a Christian is to be Trinitarian, and that's not all it is. There's more to that, like like we said, the Bible and salvation and stuff. But and I think one thing, if I could just it. jump in here yeah, really quickly, it. one of the problems that we have is we think, okay, Trinitarianism, it's this really abstract thing. It's really difficult. It's kind of on the fringes of our faith. You know, we only only serious theologians talk about that, and that's a mistake because mm-hmm. even though it is really difficult, it is the core of our faith. Mm-hmm. If God is not triune, then 
everything gets messed up as we're going to see yeah yeah it a, a lot of our faith kind of rests on that um so uh let's look at a few bible passages in the last few minutes we have here for the background uh someone look up matthew twenty eight nineteen. someone look up ephesians 1 someone look up john 17 and someone else look up john 14 16 I'm hoping with the number of people we have that someone's got each of those. There's still enough Bibles in the room. Yeah. We're good. So, Matthew 28, 19. Someone read that for me. Good. Good. Uh, A few things we should point out about that. This is the Great Commission. right? This is Jesus setting up the mission of the church. This is what the church is supposed to do when he's like giving the apostles, making them the apostles, founding the church, this is what he's telling them to do. This is the Great Commission. So it's a little bit important for us, right? It sets us up for all of our life and actions. All of us are supposed to be geared towards this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's great. Baptizing them. What's baptism? What is that? In the water. But what are we doing when we baptize someone? Yeah, we're initiating them into the church. This is their profession of faith to make them part of the body of Christ. So... In what, like, by what means are they baptized? Obviously water, but what is said over them? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's in our initiation rites. I mean, you know, this is pretty important, obviously, if Jesus puts it there. Um, My Bible has it in red. <laughs> yeah, his Bible has it in red, so mine doesn't. Need to get a new Bible. Um, <laughs> ESV. <laughs> Sorry. Shh. Um, the English Standard Version. That's why I like it. Yes. Uh, but another interesting thing is that it says, in the name, we got it all our Trinitarian theology right here. In the name, how many names is that? One. How many names follow it? Three. That's a little confusing. And uh, in English, this, this may not be that contradictory, but in Greek, it looks really bizarre. Like in the original text, it, it does not grammatically work. You read it and you're like, mm, you have to read it again. And then you're like, I guess that's what it says. It doesn't grammatically make sense. Because you would normally say the names, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And a number in Greek is really important. So when it says the name, singular, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's like that doesn't jive with my way of thinking about things. Uh, so that's, that's really on purpose. That wasn't a mistake. Someone doesn't slip up and say that. Uh, that was really on purpose. So we see it right there in the very first Great Commission that we're given that set the whole church up. Who has Ephesians 1? This is a longer passage, so I know nobody wants to take it. It's a whole chapter? Yeah. No, just verses 3 to verse 14. We don't have to read the whole thing, but uh, I would like you guys to look at this sometimes. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is absolutely packed with Trinitarian theology. There's the Trinity is all through the book, everywhere. Um, uh, 3 to verse uh, 14. So, uh, just a second. So, we're going to see, this is a pretty long passage, so try to pull out, the. there was one section on the Father, one section on the Son, and one section on the Holy Spirit. And each one of those sections ends with something like, to the praise of His glorious grace, or to the praise of His glory, that kind of thing. So go ahead and read it for us. Did you guys catch it in there? Three sections. The first one's on the Father, to the praise of His glory. Then it starts talking about... And they're still... They're a little bit into each other's sections. It mentions the different members. But the first one's more about the Father, then about the Son, then about the Holy Spirit. It's just worked into... And he's not necessarily just talking about the Trinity there. What's Paul talking about? 
salvation and a bunch of other stuff as well, but he's doing it in a Trinitarian pattern. So just weaving through all of our theology is this idea of the Trinity. And in the rest of Ephesians, it's the same way. Um, John 17. I'm not going to ask you to read the whole thing. Uh, (laughs) It's a long section. But John 17 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible when talking about the relationship between specifically Jesus and God the Father. Incredible passage talking about uh, Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Him and we are in the Father if we are in Jesus. And it just goes on and on and talks about the relationship between the Son and the Father and how because like through Jesus we can enter into that relationship. But it's Jesus' prayer that He's praying to the Father in front of the disciples at the Last Supper. It's, it's one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible, I think, as far as laying out uh, this theology. When you see one member of the Godhead, one person talking to the other person of the Godhead, and we get to see that interaction. Uh, it's, it's really breathtaking. So you guys mark that down to read in your quiet time sometime, I guess. And uh, we'll move on to John uh, 14, verse 16. Okay, this is a key verse. Now, why is this one so key, even though it's so short? He says, uh, I will ask the Father. This is Jesus speaking. So clearly he's separate from the Father if he's asking, you know, you don't ask yourself or something. Uh, He's asked the Father, who will give you another helper? Who's that? We find out later. The Holy Spirit. uh, To be with you forever. One of the things here is, uh, some people might say, even a modalist might say that the Holy Spirit is God coming back. It was Jesus. He left and then he came back in spirit form to be with us. But when he says another helper, another is a really specific word in Greek, and it means uh, something that is different from the one it's talking about, but who's the same in type. Okay? So if I say um, I'm going to pick up an object and I pick up a chair, that's one object. I I could say I'm going to pick up another thing, and that's a bowling ball. There's a different word for how those are different. In Greek, there's a word that means other and of a different type. Okay, so this is the word other and of the same type. So it means uh, if if Josh and I are both talking up here, I say now I'm going to hand it on to another brother. What I mean is he's different from me, but he's the same type as me. He's a man just like me. So this is really specific because Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you another helper, which tells us this helper is different from Jesus. It's not Jesus, but he's of the same being. He's of the same nature, the same essence. Right? He's the, he's the same as Jesus, but he's different than Jesus. So that's a really key passage to help us understand how, what is going on here in the Trinity and how do we have to understand it in order to be Christian. Um, now, why that's important, I have no idea. So Josh is going to talk to you about it. <laughs> now? Is that my segue? I can be if you want to be, yeah. Uh, do what you got to do. There you go. Think. I yes. Get, I get a bigger you. flower, that I is guess. You. All right. You get a bigger clover, yeah. Yes. So, we're not preaching clovers today. <laughs> but there, there are a couple of principles that, that kind of flow out of this that I think are going to be really, really important for us to talk about. So, one principle as we do our theology, as we try to understand God, is we're, we're trying to... I mean, the Bible is very 
consistent about what it says about God, right? We have all these attributes of who God is. God is um, loving. He is also just, which we're going to get into in our next topic. Um, God is omnipotent, omniscient. You know, all of these things that make God who he is and, and different from us, right? So the question is, if we're modalist, if we're denying the three persons, what impact does that have on who God is and who God has revealed himself to be? Well, one thing that we could talk about is, um, and this was one of the first things that was kind of leveled against them. I don't know, should I use the ism? Is ism going to be bad if I use ism? Isms are a little confusing, but All right. I think um, they can take it, maybe. Yeah, we'll, we'll try it on for size, and, and I'll you know, ask your forgiveness later if I have to. This is a big one. Patripassionism. Uh, don't be overwhelmed. This means father. This part is talking about um, feelings like passion, and, um, but specifically the passion of Christ. And so what this view says is, well, okay, if, if the father and the son are really one, you know, literally one, not just like, you know, one being and two distinct persons, if they're one person, then the father died on the cross. That's kind of weird. The God, God felt pain. Now, the problem with that is, as God, he can't be caused to feel something, right? He only feels what he wants to feel. Nothing can be... Um, no, you can't push God around. You can't nail him to a cross unless he wants to be there. You can't make him feel pain unless he decides he's going to. And so, in Jesus becoming human, you have a different setup there. But if God is feeling pain, then you've, you've infringed on God's territory. You've, you've made God lesser than he is. And that's kind of the biggest, most abstract one we're going to talk about. We'll get a little more, uh, more applicable after this one. But does that one make sense before we move on from there? Mm-hmm. But who caused it? We did our sin. Well, it was because of our sin. Who inflicted that punishment, that wrath on Jesus? God. The Father. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky one. Maybe we'll just file that one away. Well, does this show up anywhere? Show up. Do you ever know anyone who's ever said this before? The Father died on the cross? Yeah, it's, it's not something people normally like to say. Well, it does come up, though, right? I mean, does it? I think in school I, it does. Well, words, yeah, yeah. The GTS it does. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. Uh, words are important, right? So, the way we pray, the words that we use, we need to be specific about what we're saying. Now, I'm not trying to make you really nervous about praying to the right member of the Trinity or whatever, but usually we pray something like, uh, you know, we kind of follow the Our, Our Father example that Jesus gave us. So we start off, Oh Father. Bless us today. Thank you. I've heard I've heard music pastors do this. By the way, it's usually the music pastor. Why is that? Josh, Josh is a music, musician, so yeah. Uh, the, the music pastor gets up and says, "Father, we just thank you for letting us be here today and worship in your name, and we thank you for this, and we thank you for that, and we thank you for this and that. Thank you for coming down, becoming a man, and dying on the cross." And my ears always hurt when he says that. Mm. Right? Because he's saying, "Father, thank you for coming down to earth, becoming a man, and dying on the cross." Did the Father become a man and die on the cross? We have to be specific about what we're saying. Okay, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to make you guys nervous about it, but I do want you to think about it. You know? Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yes, so 
So again, that's, again, kind of the more abstract problem that we have is confusing, well, whatever Jesus did, the Father did, whatever the Father did, the Spirit did. I mean, there's a lot of confusion that comes in there. Another thing that happens is you have one being, you know, eternally existing, and, you know, this is before creation, before time, just kind of extrapolate with me in your minds. Well, one of the problems that happens if God is just one being, then it's really easy to make the claim that God was lonely, that God needed us for some reason. And there are all sorts of ways that people try and connect us. They say, well, you know, um, God uh, needed somebody to experience him. He needed somebody to appreciate him. He needed somebody, you know, I mean, we create all these different ways that God would have needed us. And that totally flies in the face of God's character again. Um, But by being Trinitarian, by affirming the three persons, you have God in community. God already has other persons to relate to. He doesn't need us. He is totally self-sufficient. There's nothing that he lacks. And so, again, this, by, by... getting rid of the three persons. You're, you're kind of opening up God to this accusation that he needed us, that, that we're somehow important to him for more than whatever he allows us to be. Um, so again, this is another slightly abstract one. Any questions about this one? All right. And if you think of something later, don't feel, you know, feel free to bring it up. Another thing, like not only does this have implications for the character of God, for who he is, but whatever we say about God has implications for reality and for creation, for the values that we have and the way that we see the world. So, again, one thing that we as Christians value is community, right? We hear that all the time at Watermark. Watermark does this really well. Is, is we have people in community. We don't want single Christians out by themselves doing their own thing. Well, if you're a modalist, then being one is being godlike. Being by yourself is being godlike. And so we value what God is in our own lives. And so if we deny the three persons, we're saying, we're devaluing community. We're saying, I don't need other people. Or I shouldn't need other people because God didn't need other people. God, you know, again, that that relational factor was part of God. So, throw that up here. We have um, just kind of, we'll say, anti-community. There's no real easy way to put it. No fancy term. Any questions about that one? That's true, but if you think about that, Christ is a person, right? God is still a person. You're still relying on that relationship with God. What, what the more, uh, the further danger is to say, well, I can do. I should be able to do everything on my own. I shouldn't even need God's help. And so, well, but the, right, the creative, we would still need Him. 
One thing that I should make really clear, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. In the first discussion that we had, when we were talking about Pelagianism, those were all logical necessities. These were things that you can't help but let those dominoes fall once the first one does. For these, these aren't logical necessities. These aren't things that have to happen. These are jumps that people end up making because of that. And it's not that they have to, but it's something that, that it weakens theology and so that people can jump through that door. Does that make sense? So there are people in the past who have said, well, because God isn't community, I don't have to value community. You know, we, we get our theology from who God is, and we understand reality based on who God is. And so one way would be with community. And we do this all the time, though, as far as, as trying to be self-sufficient. That's, that's an American value, right? You know, I'm, I'm going to go and, and be my own person, pull my up, myself up from my bootstraps, make my own way. And that's against the character of God where the, the Son submits to the Father and the Spirit goes forth from the Son and the Father and we won't get into that whole discussion. But I don't know if it's why they were doing it, but it's one of the problems with it. Yeah, yeah just is that they... Yeah, you, we're not we're not made to be alone. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like to your thing about you could go off to a desert island, and I guess that would be okay. But that's not God's ideal. God wants us to be in community with others. We're, you know, we try to read our Bible by ourselves, but that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to read the Bible in community, have other people tell us where we're messing up, keep us accountable. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we usually do a really good job, especially again at this church of of valuing community and encouraging everyone to be in community with other people. One thing that I would challenge you guys on is how big is your community? Like, obviously, we need a small group of people to be fully known by and to know each other, right? But especially when we're talking about trying to understand God and understand his word, we not only need the help of other people and their perspectives, but we need to broaden our pool and say, you know, people from other cultures have insights to God that I don't have. People of other time periods have insights to God because they're in a different, a different place than I am that they can add and, and build me up in my faith. And so, just something to think about. How big is your community? Are you limiting yourself to a bunch of white Americans, you know, who make the same amount of money as you? Or, or are you also in community with other cultures, other time frames. Does that make sense? All right. Well, another thing, so, so we value community. We also value diversity kind of goes with that, which is kind of where I was headed right there. Um, it's just along the same lines. Not only do we need other people, but the three persons are distinct. They're different from one another. And so we also... We want to value diversity. Diversity is a God-like trait. God wants a diverse church. He wanted Adam and Eve to go fill the whole earth and, and for the languages to, to be diverse. And so there's beauty in diversity. Diversity is a godly thing if you're Trinitarian. But it becomes kind of a weird thing if you're a modalist. Mm-hmm. So I think that's most of what I have on that. Um, any other thoughts and questions? You mean theological diversity? Like, yeah, 
And that's, I mean, maybe that's where you go back and emphasize the one being. It's, it's one, <laughs> one truth. That's one reality that's always there. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's fleshed out in different ways. And so, like, we're all called to be Christ, right? We're supposed to model Christ in the world. But, diff- like, I'm going to do that in some ways better than in others. Mm-hmm. And Isaac's going to do that in other ways that are better. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're all going to bring our own strengths and weaknesses. So, so yeah, it's not diversity at the expense of truth. But, but you're right. Can, can, you, can you think of a church, and I don't want to pick on individual churches or whatever, but can you think of a church that has emphasized doctrinal unity uh, over diversity? Like, really emphasized it? where there's like say one guy who gets the final say on everything can you think of a church like that shout it out Catholicism yeah and I'm not I'm not I don't want to pick on Catholics too much or anything I, I don't know if anyone here is Catholic but I you know I think there's there there are good things about the Catholic Church you know and all that kind of stuff I don't want to say it's the only kind of church there is, but I also don't want to totally kick it out of being a church. But I think it's kind of one of the dangers of, with Protestantism is that we totally neglect it. Uh, yeah, we might disagree with it in some pretty strong ways, but we need to recognize that like, they believe in the Trinity and, you know, broadly Christian. Uh, so, but they emphasize unity of doctrine to the point where no one else is allowed. How does that work for their doctrine as far as Protestants are concerned? We don't agree with them because they've gone down some bad roads because one guy gets the final say. But when you have, uh, when you can't just make decisions like that, when you have to sort of talk it out and converse people, I mean, we're not dealing with, you know, Christianity isn't just like a third grade level religion. It's very deep and complex. And so we need that. We need that interaction. We need to bounce stuff off of each other. You know, like iron sharpens iron kind of a thing. It, that grading is actually good for us, those discussions and those different ways of thinking and stuff. Yeah, God is the Father is there as God doing the creating. The Holy Spirit's moving, and He speaks the Word, you know. And the Word is Christ, as we see in John one. Yeah, that's one of the reasons we didn't use the Old Testament is because it gets kind of fuzzy. You can see it really clearly in the New Testament. The Old Testament, it's a little bit more difficult to see very clearly. And in fact, I don't know if someone who just had the Old Testament could arrive at the Trinity with just the Old Testament. Unless they were inspired by God, you know, to write the New Testament. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing with the Messiah. You know, the Jews had the data. They just didn't quite understand how to interpret it. Right. And so it's the same thing with the Trinity. Yeah. The New Testament's just much clearer on it because God's revelation progressed over time. He got more and more specific, you know. Even within the Old Testament, the stuff later is more specific than the stuff earlier. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's one other thing I forgot to mention okay. that I don't know. I think you could speak to this better than I could, actually. The, that idea of determinism. Did you want to talk about that before we move on? I, I don't know. I mean, it's a little, yeah, well, a little much. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me start with a, a, a different thing. Because uh, this is an area of philosophy, and I'm a history guy, so yeah, my brain yeah. doesn't work that way. Well, and we already went uh, into it a little bit. We did. We, did, we did. We touched on it. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you guys this. Uh, does God change? Now, I understand that he does different things at different times and different places with different people. I understand that. Uh, and if, we re- if he's going to judge us and then we repent, he doesn't judge us. You know, I understand that he changes his mind in that way. Does he change in who he is? That's what I'm asking. Does God change in who he is? No. All right. Is God in who he is all-powerful? Yes. Uh, is God in who he is omniscient? He knows everything? Yes. Is he omnipresent? Is he everywhere? Yes. Okay. Is God loving in who he is? 
He's loving in who he is. I'm getting some yeses, getting some people who think I'm asking another trick question. Yeah, God is love. Isn't that what the Bible says? God is loving. Now, God doesn't change, okay, in who he is. He doesn't change. But he is love. He is loving. All right. Now, if I have one being prior to creation, can he love? Is that what it means, though? Is that what love is? Just that's the whole definition, or is there another aspect of love? It's carrying that out in relationship with another person. Yeah, exactly. He could be maybe, he might love himself, but we don't really call that love. We call that self-centeredness, narcissism, selfishness. You know, that's not really love. Uh... In order for him to love, there has to be another person. So if he's one being and there's just one person before creation, then he can't possibly be loving. After creation, he loves Adam and Eve, he loves people. What has he done? He's changed in who he is. Because before he couldn't possibly, I mean, it would be impossible for him to have been loving. Now he is loving, he would have had to change. So what do we have to have? At least more than one person, right? In in the Godhead, we have to have, and turns out, I mean, we have three, uh, and we see this. I mean, this is one of the things John 17 talks about: is the love that they have for each other from the beginning of time, and like it goes into all that kind of stuff. So, this is uh, just one little approach to that that kind of gets at the um, relationship stuff. Yes, uh, the yeah. relational community part of it is if he's essentially, and when I say essentially, I mean in his nature. Remember, essence and nature are the same kind of words. If he's essentially relational, he's got to be in relationship with something before he creates something else. And I think that gets to like, if he was just one being and he, was, he had to love something, he'd have to create something else. Mm-hmm. He'd have to create us and he'd have to do all that. And God isn't obligated to do anything, right? We don't, we don't think he has to create us and he needs us somehow. Uh, it's a little dependent problem there <laughs> yeah if you're all powerful but you need yeah. a human that's... Yeah. yeah yeah so um anyway this is one little tidbit do you guys see this anywhere else i mean I, one of the things we were talking about with this is um it shows up in the church not so much in like a really heinous way that's going to destroy the gospel and destroy the savior and destroy god you know like the the logical progression that we saw before it's just a confusion about theology but so many people are confused about it. It's a real problem in the church because people get asked questions like this kind of thing uh, and they don't know what to do with it. You know, they don't, they don't know how to explain that or how to understand their faith or that they think that the Father died on the cross or something like that. Uh, yeah. And that's why I think we, it's really important where Isaac started us off, right? What you believe about God has profound impacts on what you value and who you are and how you see reality. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we're trying to get at here. Yeah. Oh, with all uh, that. I didn't even get into the determinism thing. I'm sorry. Here, I'll, I'll take a few minutes. Um, you know, one of the other things is, one of the other effects of this is determinism. Uh, so, again, I don't want to pick on individual groups and I don't want to be like hateful or anything, but uh, to distinguish our theology from Muslim theology, uh, there are some differences, and these are, I, I had Muslim friends who've explained it to me, like these are the way they believe it, so I'm not I'm trying to put words in anyone's mouth. But um, for them, God is one being, okay? He is not a person. 
Now, some Muslims might say that he is, and what do they mean by person? You get into that whole thing. But I've been told specifically by Muslims who studied and know their stuff, uh, God is not a person. Because he doesn't relate to us. Like Jesus came down to earth, talked with, was friends with Peter and John and all these guys, and you know, was hugging him and eating with him and stuff like that. The Muslim God does not do that. They are very specific. He is transcendent. He's above us. He does not condescend to relate to us. He's not personal in that sense. So he is one being. Now what this leads them to get into is uh, determinism. He's all powerful. He just controls everything. They have very little say in what goes on. Now they don't do a lot of the juggling that we do with like free will, sovereignty. Like I don't know that they've gotten into that stuff in their own schools. They have a little bit. Schools, yeah. But as much as we have? or Not, not as oh, much okay. as we have, no. So, but for them, God is all determining and so not only does he pick everything he can change the game at any point so if you get to you know heaven as a muslim uh and you've kept all the good rules and whatever you've done you've kept the five pillars and you've gone on hajj and you know all the different things you're supposed to do you've prayed he could still not let you in because he's god and it's his it's up to him you know but we have a personal god right uh why are we guaranteed that God won't change the rules? How do we know that what he said is going to happen is going to happen? He says he's unchanging. Okay. Did he do anything that demonstrates some kind of great feeling for us? Or I can't think of anything, right? I think there's that one thing. No, I don't think no, there is. not that one. You guys know what I'm talking about. He, his son came down, left... Uh, his his place in perfect relationship in heaven with with the Father and the Holy Spirit I mean, came down, became a man. Philippians two says he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. He died, and then what did he do? He rose again. The rules aren't changing. Okay, this is this is what has happened in history. Our God is a God who acts in history, and uh, he's personally invested in what's going on. This isn't a little chess game for him. You know, he's not uninterested in the outcome. He's pretty invested in the outcome, even to the point of death. So, uh, yeah, there you go. So that's how we're different from Muslims. In one one way. (laughs) There's a lot of others. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah. um, You ready to move on? Does anyone else have any other questions? Y'all understand the Trinity. I'm impressed. Yeah. Awesome. No questions? All right, I'm going to move on. 